0: And there is also no doubt that Google is sending less traffic to blogs overall. One of the things that Google has sold the world on really hard, that is just a straight up falsehood, is the idea that the algorithm is simply received wisdom, that it came from on high, that it cannot be changed, that it should never be manipulated, that the algorithm is the algorithm.
1: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Huntington, and that was Seth Godin. And that was a clip from his podcast called Akimbo. I'm an avid listener of Seth. I have probably like 10 of his books. I haven't read them all, but I have a lot of them. And this episode was kind of cool. There was a question at the end, and Seth does this for his show. He has some topic he talks about for, maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then he'll answer questions, listener questions. And one of these questions was pretty interesting. He talks about Google and the algorithm a little bit as the clip outlined, but also about blogging in general. There were a couple insightful things, both in the question and of course from Seth. And I wanted to basically give my commentary on it. And it's Well, it's cool I have the show because then I can give my commentary and a few people like you will listen to it, which I very much appreciate. So, I will also talk about the uh, kind of a little niche site. Uh, It's not really a case study specifically, but I want to share a little preliminary information and data on a thing that I was doing. Yeah, it's not technically an experiment, but I guess I can call it a case study on one of my sites where I was adding uh, some FAQs. Actually, I had a service help me out with FAQs. So I'll just share sort of some preliminary information on the data there. And it's something that I've been doing for years. And the more I add FAQs to existing content, the more I see it's just a technique that works really well. Quick shout out to eZoic and Leap, which actually replaces the site speed accelerator. And Leap is completely free and it's a website performance tool set. And this is actually, it's rolling out now. I'm not sure if it's available at the time you're hearing this to every single user of eZoic, but it's sort of a, a way to improve and make sure your core web vitals are all green. Everything's in uh, good shape. The cool thing with leap is it's all free. It's all included if you are a user of Ezoic. So I think one of the confusing points for some of the users of the site speed accelerator is uh, you know, paid features versus free or anything like that. And leap is uh, simpler. It's sort of an all-encompassing situation, and I thank Ezoic for sponsoring the show. So please do check it out. And I mentioned this before, even if you're not going to sign up for a leap or maybe, you have, maybe you're happy with your display ads uh, currently as they are, that's okay. Go check out the Ezoic blog. It is excellent. I read it personally. So thanks again to Ezoic. This will be a different style of episode, so we'll see how it goes. I'm going to play the clip of the question, and then I'm going to break in during the question, and I'll break in during the answer from Seth as well. Of course, Seth is not on this show, and I'm just giving my sort of commentary, as I mentioned. So I'm I'm just going to jump
2: in, and hopefully it'll flow sort of nicely. We'll see. Hey, Seth, this is Mickey from Atlanta. I've heard you mention that Google doesn't like blogs as much anymore, and I think you might be viewing it through the wrong lens, but I see a larger problem. Now, I don't have these numbers, and they're likely not even attainable, but I'm willing to guess that 10 years ago, a much higher percentage of your audience had their own blog. When they talked about your content on their own blogs, those were huge signals to Google to rank your stuff higher. Yes, Mike, 100%.
1: Google loves these backlinks and it is a huge sign there's a you know huge multi-million dollar industry for SEO and backlinks are a huge piece of the puzzle now of course uh, listener out there of the Doug show you know you're an advanced SEO potentially or you're going to be an advanced SEO and you know this already so this is not news and I think he's a hundred percent Right. Mike is right. A lot more people probably had blogs several years ago than they
2: do now. Those kinds of signals are still very valuable to Google, but your audience doesn't tend to produce that kind of content as much anymore. Case in point is my recent Alt MBA experience. It was a phenomenal program, but I was stunned at how few people had their own blog. Of my cohort of 20 people, two have blogs and between them they post maybe once or twice a month. Granted many of these folks generate content in other ways, such as writing books or producing podcasts. But if they mention your content in either of those mediums, it gives you essentially no value in the eyes of Google so the alt NBA is sort of a project based
1: group educational format it's alternative to an MBA and it seems to be very popular. Seth has been doing that for a little while. And it sounds like the alumni are pretty accomplished people and they all enjoy Seth and what he does. Now, one piece that might not be a hundred percent accurate there is getting links from a podcast. So I have this podcast and sure, maybe the domain authority, the domain rating and the links coming from my podcast may not be as powerful. They are not as powerful as the links coming from my actual blog, but they still count. And some people like my friend, uh, Spencer Hawes at niche pursuits, his podcast lives on the same domain name. So those links do matter and do count minor point. But Mike also mentions, Hey, if people are maybe writing books and Seth gets a link and a mention in a a whole section or something like that. Yeah. You're not going to get a backlink from that. That's just a a physical book or it could be a Kindle book or whatever, but you're not getting the backlink or that, you know, link juice that we
2: traditionally think about. I've been pushing my friends to blog more, both my long-term friends and new colleagues from the alt MBA and a few are picking it up, but the vast majority aren't. And it's a little frustrating. Why do you think people are unwilling to take the time to unpack their thoughts in a medium like this? Thanks for all you do. Before I send it over to Seth for his answer. Uh,
1: that's a quick one, Mike. People are lazy. and When they write stuff down, it takes a lot longer than if they do a podcast, for example. Hell, I'm doing it right now. It's a lot faster, a lot faster, but writing is super helpful and I I do think it is quite valuable. All right. I'm rambling on. So I'm going to send it to Seth for his answer here.
0: Thank you for this, Mickey. And I am hesitant to sound self-serving when I talk about Google, because yes, Google definitely puts my blog's emails into people's promotional and spam filter, even though there's no good reason to do that.
1: Quick note on that, I have turned off all the tabs because I didn't like the way Google was fucking with my emails and throwing things in the wrong spot. So I only have a primary inbox. There's no tabs, there's no uh, classification. And then I have a different sorting method. Does it work that well? Eh, You know what? Sometimes it takes a while for me to get back to people, but I'm okay with that. Depends on the person. And in fact, if I've sent you an email And it's been delayed. It's nothing personal. It's just there's other things going on. And, you know, I have to prioritize things. Back to Seth.
0: And there is also no doubt that Google is sending less traffic to blogs overall. One of the things that Google has sold the world on really hard that is just a straight-up falsehood is the idea that the algorithm is simply received wisdom that it came from on high, that it cannot be changed, that it should never be manipulated, that the algorithm is the algorithm.
1: Big disagreement on this one. So Seth is misinformed on this one, or here's the deal, his audience potentially are not educated SEOs like ourselves, right? So we know, audience, we know, that not only does Google have algorithm updates all the damn time, they tell us about it. In fact, there are websites just dedicated to seeing the algorithm changes. So I think the way Seth phrased this, it sounded like, oh, it's a permanent set in stone situation, but Google is tweaking it all the time. Now, that doesn't take away some of the, uh, I guess, intention of what Seth is saying, where Google is saying, hey, we're doing this shit and we're doing it our way. And we don't really care about input from you, people with websites, no matter who you are or SEOs, they really don't take our input as far as I know to any like serious extent. But I don't think anyone here in the audience thinks that Google has said, hey, the algorithm doesn't change. We literally know it changes all the time in very major ways.
0: For example, today there was a front page article in the New York Times about people who make a living preying on folks who can ill afford it, where someone writes a nasty article about someone on some scammy site, then they repeat it and multiply it onto dozens of other sites and then charge that person to take it down. And then once that person starts paying, they just repeat it again and do the process all over again. And none of it would work if Google would assign just an engineer or two to making sure that no traffic went to these sites that serve no useful function.
1: So I don't know specifically about that business model. I didn't read the article, but I have heard uh, about similar things like that. Now, Seth's Kind of assumption there that it can be solved with one or two engineers. Well, gosh, I'm not sure how that could be done. If this just happened a couple times here and there, okay, maybe someone can manually go look at it. But again, as advanced SEOs out there in the audience, we know that sometimes a manual review or let's say maybe you submit a reconsideration request via the Google search console and you are hoping to get a manual penalty removed. You may not have anyone re- review that for a long time. It maybe has to happen manually and it may take four months. I had Spencer Hawes from Niche Pursuits talking about this and yeah, he took, uh, it took him like four months to get actually get the penalty removed. And I don't know, yeah, again, I I don't know where Seth made the assumption like, hey, just put one or two engineers. This is an easy problem to solve. It may be a little more complicated. And again, as SEOs, we know the cat and mouse game of Google recognizing or uh, ranking a site well because of uh, certain links that are going to it. And then marketers figure out how to manipulate that and abuse that known weakness, I guess, in the system. And then Google will change things. So as soon as Google figured us out how to f- solve that problem, those folks will figure out some other you know, terrible business model. Not to say it's not a good idea to fix that problem, but one to two engineers, I'm not sure where he's coming up with that.
0: But... It's not even mentioned in the article that I could see that it's Google's job to do this because apparently the algorithm is the algorithm. That's crazy talk. You don't go to the library and expect that every single book ever published is on the shelves and in the card catalog. The librarian's job includes curation. And I think that Google somehow managed to say it's okay to make billions and billions of dollars pointing to information but that they are not responsible in any way for curating it. But, of course, they are curating it. They are curating it because of the thousands of people who write the algorithm because it's not being written by a computer. It's being written by people.
1: Yes, Seth. Okay, I'm back on board. I'm with you now. It is written by people. There's a lot going on. But, you know, why? Why are they writing
0: it that way? And so when you see recipes on the Internet, They're formatted in that weird way where there's pictures and stories and stories and stories, and then finally you read the recipe. Well, that's because Google rewarded pages for being written that way. That's a form of curation.
1: Ah, shit. Yeah, I hate that when I look up a recipe, which is uh, fairly frequent, and then you have to read this damn narrative about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and how their grandmother fed them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But really, all you have to do is you know, slather some uh, peanut butter and jelly, put the bread together, and that's it. It's pretty simple. We don't need the narrative. We don't actually care about you or your grandmother.
0: No offense. And what happened with Google and blogs shortly after they shut down Google Reader was they realized that blogs aren't a good way for Google to make money. And so they manipulated the algorithm. There are plenty of places where they can point people that make it likely that they will come back and do another search. And it's on searches that Google makes money. They don't make money when someone subscribes to a blog.
1: And there it is. It makes total sense when you step back and you think about Google as a company trying to figure out how to make money. And yeah, blogs, sure, they can Put some ads on blogs, but it goes back to ads overall. And people, companies will pay a lot more for ads on the search side, probably. I mean, I haven't consumed all the data or have a full understanding of display ads, but in general, this makes total sense. So when you look at the incentives of a company like Google doesn't always match up with ours where potentially we want people to uh, read our blogs. So here we are.
0: So the first part of your question, yeah, I think it's on Google here to say, are we elevating or diminishing the culture, the culture of the web? Because the web is a place just like everywhere else. And Google could make some small changes that would dramatically shift what we encounter, how we encounter it, what we do when we find what we're looking for. Wikipedia, which is a treasure, only is a treasure because Google defaulted to pointing to them in most search results early and up top. That was a choice of curation. I put that one down as a win. But I think their neglect of blogs is a loss. Wikipedia,
1: for sure, fantastic, great website, read it all the time, right? I'm sure a lot of folks do as well. And as far as blogs, well, you know what? I don't have a strong opinion on that. I know, you know, things shift. Our consumption of things on the internet has shifted. We have much higher bandwidth now. We can do audio in an easy way. I have essentially a professional level studio here in my basement, and it really wasn't all that expensive. We have uh, video as well that's a little more expensive, but again, I have basically a professional level studio in my basement. I am not skilled, um, professionally in like video making or audio or anything like that. I just sort of piece things together. And part of it was because I could watch YouTube videos and learn how other people were doing it. So all all that to say, maybe it's shifting. I don't necessarily put it on Google for the way the world has moved away from blogging as much. Now that said, I mean, a lot of people that listen to this, you do have blogs, you may have several blogs and it may not be a personal blog. It may be more of an affiliate site most likely, but the the point is a lot of people still have blogs and they still get traffic, lots and lots of traffic from Google. So there's some piece of curation there. And a quick case in point is more recently, in the May 2020, not 2020, 2021 update, basically Google was going after product review sites that were regurgitating content from other sites and didn't really present well-rounded information or original information. There's a lot of different ways to look at it, but that, that was a general idea. So they're trying, at least on some level, to curate some of the content out there, and well, again, I think we all know we we have seen examples where poorly written content with a shitload of backlinks may rank above original content where someone has actually you know purchased the product or products, taken pictures, done videos, like a real true review, but they don't have any backlinks, and we we could find examples all day long that are that exact situation.
0: And then the second half of your question, most people who write blogs shouldn't write a blog because you are going to get a lot of traffic. They shouldn't write a blog because they're going to make money. They should write a blog because expressing ourselves in a semi-public, consistent, and persistent way is a magical way to learn and to keep track of our lives.
1: Probably if you're listening to this, you did start a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel to earn money. I mean, it's not a fucking hobby, right? Like we're doing this for a specific reason. However, on a grander sense, yeah, Seth, you're right. It is a good way to organize your thoughts. You could do this through journaling and other other ways. Writing does really force you to get your thoughts out of your head and really process them in a different way. This, of course, is where occasionally Seth loses me a little bit. I mean, I can appreciate the self-improvement portion, but Seth and many of his books, like Fantastic Marketer, Speaker, Communicator, Educator, all those things, but it's a self-help book slash marketing slash business book, and it all kind of fits together, and I'm, I'm not against, uh, you know, self-improvement and stuff like that, but I think you're solving for like two different problems, two different equations in that context. So yeah, if you haven't started a blog, it's a good thing to do. I, these days, encourage people to start anything. It could be a blog, could be a podcast, could be YouTube, but any sort of communication does indeed force you to not make a thought or decision permanent, but it makes a thought permanent at that point moment in time, and then you could at least evaluate it for what it is. Now I'm becoming a little self helpy there.
0: Part of the problem with Twitter is the hand-to-hand combat, the short little bon mots and phrases that are only good if someone responds, reacts, or otherwise engages with you. That doesn't lead us to long-term critical thinking. It leads us to playing a sort of ping pong. And if you like tweeting, please go ahead. But I think that most kids and most adults should have a blog, even if it's under an assumed name, just to have the discipline, the practice of showing up to do this work. Thank you for that, Mickey.
1: And I agree with that. I mean, I love the the discipline, creating something. It's a good thing to do. I encourage you to start something whatever it may be. And back to the point about Twitter. Yeah. You know what? I never really got into it. I don't think I figured out how to use Twitter properly. Occasionally I hop over there. I have some friends that are far more active, but when I maybe browse around and look around, the feed is nonsense. I was looking at, uh, well, I won't say exactly what it was, Uh, you know what, what the fuck, I'll tell you. I was looking at uh, like the mask mandates and that sort of thing. This is just like a a week or two ago. So this is uh, mid-May, 2021 right now when I'm recording this. So anyway, soon, a lot of people are not gonna have to wear masks in the US if they're vaccinated, blah, 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 right? My opinion doesn't really matter here too much. But the thing is on, on the Twitter side, like there, there was just a madness over there. Uh, the discussion was pretty uh, kind, of, kind of nonsense, and I just looked for a second, and I found it a little amusing. So I know there's a way to use Twitter in a effective way, and if people have tips on it, feel free shoot them over feedback at doug dot show. And in fact, please let me know what you thought of this episode and kind of the format from a editing perspective, it definitely took me a few minutes to cut and give my responses there, but it was different. It was fun to do. And it it took me a little bit longer, but not, not too much. So it could be an interesting way for me to have fake conversations with people that are way more important than me. It would never be on the show, maybe like Seth Godin, for example, but I can do it with other people too. So I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you have any thoughts on it. And specifically, if you have thoughts on what Seth said or Mickey's question, I may have said Mikey before, Mickey, Mikey, whatever. It was a good question, good answer. And I think uh, even though I didn't agree with Seth a hundred percent there, he had some extremely valid points and a couple of things where I think perhaps he was just generalizing so he didn't have to go into so much detail. And then I was nitpicking on like little tiny facts that really didn't impact the overall answer that he gave. I mean, he was just saying, yeah, people should blog more and they don't blog as much as they used to. So I think that's all right. And uh, if you haven't checked out Akimbo, it is a fantastic podcast. They are sort of bite-sized episodes. I don't love some of the some of the topics specifically, but there are a lot of very good ones. And if you haven't checked out Seth in the past, the podcast is a great way to get a little taste there. He has many, many talks that are published on YouTube. He has, I don't even know how many best selling books, but literally on the shelf behind me, I think I have 10 of them. So very worthwhile. And uh, thanks to Seth for. Letting me use it. I mean, I I just downloaded it and actually get permission, but I think it's one of those fair use things. All right, I'm gonna take a quick pause and then I'm gonna tell you about this FAQ stuff. The quick rundown is eight articles were updated on a site and FAQs were added. Basically, overall traffic is up by roughly 207, 206.7%. So pretty dramatic change. And the, the thing is most of the posts went up by a pretty dramatic amount. So one of the posts went up by 450%, one 283%, one's 50%, 80%, one is 7%, and another is 28%. Some of the numbers, actually the last, I would say three that I read off there, two that I read off there, it's sort of insignificant numbers. So under 50, but the rest are fairly high. And this FAQ method is one that I've been talking about for a couple of years. I have full on demos, over on the YouTube side. And if you just went over to niche site project and look for the FAQ method, you would find the very short step-by-step method to do it. And I worked with niche website builders to to do it, right? So I actually didn't do the research myself. And they have a little bit more of a sophisticated way to find the questions to write and put on your website. So I am an affiliate and I get a commission if you sign up for their service, but it was very hands-off and uh, honestly, it was more rigorous and more research driven than typically the way that I do FAQs. Now that said, you don't have to make it as rigorous. So typically what I do is just Google the term. Usually it's just the, the title of the post or whatever keyword I'm targeting for that given URL and then I'll look at the people also ask featured section on the SERPs. So Google tells you right there, other questions that people are asking, and then I'll dig a little deeper and do some research there. The more of those that you open up and look at those little questions in the featured section, the more questions and answers are shown. And I did this on a site back, well, it was about a year ago in 2020, my VA got basically the instructions that I just told you right now. And she went and found anywhere from three to 10 questions for about 20 articles on a specific website. She added the questions and answers. She didn't even use any markup schema for FAQs. She literally just added the questions in there with H3 tags, H3 subheadings, and then put in an answer anywhere from 100 to 350 words or so. And depending on the topic, maybe she would add three questions if there weren't too many. Maybe there were already a couple questions in there. Or if there were no questions at all, maybe she added you know, 10 new questions. One of the great things is it doesn't really have to follow the narrative of the rest of the post. So that means you can hire a writer that maybe isn't the best writer in the world. I mean, we don't necessarily want to do that, but it doesn't have to match the full narrative. You can just have someone find the questions, find the answers, write a few hundred words, and it's very, very easy to do. And to that point, if you don't want to hire someone, you could do it yourself. And the great thing with that sort of activity is maybe you only have 15 minutes or so, and maybe you can add one question. So sometimes I get bogged down, for example, oh gosh, this happened to me the other day. I was trying to put together a more intentional internal linking plan for some specific pages over on niche site project. This is sort of some of the work that came out of the technical SEO audit that Olga did for me for niche site project. So I needed to sit down and figure some shit out. The hard part with that, and the thing that made me procrastinate is sad for me to say, I knew it was going to take me a couple hours, and I knew I was going to have to focus pretty hard, and it would be kind of a sloppy process. I would have to look at one place and then go somewhere else, and I knew it was just going to take me a while, so I put it off, and then finally I, I carved out you know, two and a half hours, knocked it out. Now I have a plan that will take a while to implement. The point is with the FAQs, you could jump in for like 15 minutes, look and find one question, find the answer, type it in, type 300 words, and you're done. 15, 20 minutes. That's it. You added one question. That can pull in more long tail keywords. It might improve the ranking for the post too. It might help the topical relevancy, and Google can see that you're adding content. So if you just have 15-minute chunks throughout your week, you can hop in, do it really quick, and then move on. You don't have to put together a a two-and-a-half-hour block of time. You can just do 15 minutes at a time here and there. I got a great episode coming up on Monday. I guess that'll be episode 252. Man, I can't believe... Published so many podcast episodes. That's staggering when you think about it. I interview Adam Smith from Niche website Builders, and we talk about a recent website flip. Get this. He made about eighteen thousand bucks in thirty eight days. He outlined exactly what he's done. And the thing is, it wasn't like a long time ago. This was. The end of January is when he bought the site and then he sold it at the beginning of March. We talk about every single one of the steps that he took to improve the content, tweaks that he made. Some of them are small and kind of silly, like changing the font size. Others are more complicated, like the FAQs or maybe a table of content. So that episode is coming out on Monday. I really enjoyed getting the story from Adam and it's you know it's kind of cool, just in general, that he was able to flip a site that quickly and actually get an improvement in thirty eight days. And it kind of goes to uh, I, I mean it it shows how much of a change you can make when you're doing on-site. SEO, whether it's tweaking the content to maybe, you know, stuff that's a little more technical, like I said, the table of contents or potentially adding some internal links. But we we talk about everything, break it down in a very detailed way. So look out for that. I got to plug my new podcast. It's called Mile High Fi. And I probably should have mentioned it earlier in this episode, but you're probably still listening. So I have four shows out. I've partnered with someone I interviewed on this show a couple times, Carl Jensen, and I've talked about it a little bit. I was interested in personal finance and financial independence anyway, and Carl and I had, you know, wonderful conversations. We had a good time hanging out, became friends uh, just in general, and now we're able to, you know, do this show. It's really fun and that's The main reason why I've moved down to the basement, which I keep referring to, I've given up my, my office. I gave it to my wife. She has, uh, well, God, it it looks so much better without my recording studio and all the, you know, lights and other shit I have laying around. I'm messy too. She got a nicer desk. So it's like an L-shaped desk. It looks very professional in there. She could put probably a chair across from the desk and have like a proper office. I mean, it's pretty cool and way better than whatever I did to it. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing how uh, messy it was when I was up there, but now I can make a huge mess down here in the in the basement, but it's cool. I'll, I'll do a tour sometime soon uh, over on the YouTube side, most likely. But I have like a couple of guitars down here. Carl and I can sit in our uh, little carpeted area. I brought like an area rug down here. We have a couple chairs. I just got us some upgraded microphone boom scissor uh, stands. I don't know what you call them. It's like the desk situation. But I had this one with a spring on it you can hear the spring. Yeah. I had the one with the spring on it, which I don't know why they would put, why they put external springs on these microphone arms. But anyway, I upgraded to some better ones. And I also got us some pretty cool new microphones. The Shure, I think it's the, it's the Shure MV seven, I think. So it's not like the ultra expensive, like $500 ones, but they're a little better. And I think they sound better. If they don't, it's because I'm slurring my words or something like that. Maybe it's the effect of the COVID vaccine. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't, I shouldn't even kid or say anything about it. Anyway, we get these new microphones The basement is pretty awesome. It's a little cooler and quieter down here. There's no window that I can see from here. So that's the downside. But I do have some very bright lights shining at me, which I think should help, should be a positive thing. I mean, you don't want to, I don't want to become like a mole person down here where I'm scared of light or anything. So I'm trying to keep some bright lights around me so I don't have any kind of seasonal depression or something like that which incidentally I never, I like the darkness. Love it. I sleep better. I like the cold. I like the dark, I like long winter nights. What am I even talking about? All right. I'll catch you next week on the next episode and check out Mile High Five. It's on all your uh, podcast listeners and directories.